Here at Shaun of the South, we're keeping our hands sharp with the help of Case Knives, the sponsor of this episode. A tradition of my family for generations, my granddaddy used to say the best cure for idle hands was to build something. But in today's day and age, everything's done with a click, a swipe, or a tap. But how about we put away the screens and put your hands to work with a Case Knife? You're listening to Shaun of the South. My music here behind me right now is Dewey and Leslie Brown and the Carolina General. Hey, Sean, I'm writing you while manning a barbecue grill, and there are cold ones in the cooler. Come to Tennessee, brother, and we'll eat burgers together. My wife is a vegan. She only eats non-animal products like tofu and satan, and I am about to die. I'm a man's man, and I'm out here cooking stuff like plastic chicken burgers. 
I really need a buddy to come and just drink beer with me and eat some real meat. I nominate you because you seem to think like I do. Next time you're in Tennessee, look me up. I'm dead serious, bro. Dear John, you got it, brother. Pamela Bakersfield, Jonesboro, Georgia. Sean, someone turned me on to your podcast last week, and I've listened to all your shows like a binge watch on Netflix, only for the ears. And when I went to bed last night, I heard your voice narrating my dream. I know that sounds kind of weird, and it was weird. It was spooky, actually. Anyway, you're sort of a part of my head now, I guess. And I just want you to know that my dreams are as weird as I'll get out. I had a dream I was getting chased by an alligator, and you were narrating it like it was a National Geographic episode. (laughs) Bill Roman, Edmund, Oklahoma. Sean, so this Southern Baptist comes to me this week, and he asks me what my stance was on alcohol, and I told him I didn't know. Because I grew up not drinking a drop all my life. My parents were teetotalers. Now, at this stage of my life, I've started drinking just a little. But I only drink light beer and such. (laughs) Megan Welch, Fruit Cove, Florida. Sean, the other day, my husband and I were cooking dinner and listening to your podcast. And he asked me how I found you. And I realized that I actually don't have a clue how I found you. But whatever way I did, I'm really glad about it. I'm a full-time teacher, a wife, a mama to a pretty great kiddo, and a full-time graduate student studying studying painting at Savannah College of Art and Design. Every night I paint in my studio for about three hours, and you have been one of my favorite studio buddies to paint with as I burn a candle at both ends and try to stay sane, all while doing my best impression of Wonder Woman. My current work is all about the southeastern United States, which I lovingly refer to as Swamplandia. Phyllis Castor, Carthage, Missouri. My mother had hip surgery and she was feeling better, so she went shopping at the grocery store, but she still had to carry her walker with her. She was very, very adamant about going on her own, and so we let her. On her way out to the car after shopping, she met this kid, and his name was Brandon, and he helped my mother carry her groceries out to her car He was still wearing his karate uniform, and he is nine years old. Nine years old. Then the kid asked his mother to help follow my mother home so he could unload her groceries for my mother. It was so sweet, and now Brandon calls her on the phone just to check on her all the time. I thought you'd like that story. Dear Phyllis, I don't just like it, I love it. Manuel Pancha, Destin, Florida. Hey, Sean, want to hear a joke? Well, too bad if you don't, because you're going to hear one anyway. Here goes. There were three boys out in the schoolyard, and one kid says to the other, My dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper, and they pay him a hundred bucks a week. He's a magazine writer. And the other kid says, Oh, yeah, my dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper every week, and he makes a couple thousand dollars. He's a Nashville songwriter. And the other kid says, Oh, yeah. Well, my father writes a few words on a piece of paper every week, and it takes eight ushers to collect all his money. He's a preacher. (laughs) Zelda Ronford, Benton, Arkansas. My daughter is getting ready to graduate, and she's two years behind the rest of her class because, because of a head injury accident she had. It affected her brain. Traumatic brain injuries are no joke. Her teachers have been working with her so hard and so long that she has truly earned this graduation, more so than a lot of students that she knows. She is a beautiful girl, and she's going to make some man very happy one day. 
She's going to go out there and show that world who is boss and what it takes to overcome insurmountable odds. I'm so proud of Lindsay's hard work. So proud. So, so, so proud. Please read this on your show for me and tell Lindsay that she is my sunshine, my only sunshine. Lindsay, you are your mother's sunshine and you make her happy when skies are gray. Pat Bryanson, Albany, Georgia. My son was going fishing with his friends and on the end of their fishing line caught in the fish hook was a woman's bra. (laughs) He and his friends got all excited. They're only 13 and this was very exciting to them. They kept fishing that same spot and another one of them caught another piece of underwear. And then they caught a pair of high-heeled shoes. After a while, they found a piece of luggage washed up on the shore, and they went to look at it, and it was full of women's clothing. Well, we never figured out who it belonged to. But my husband came home from work, and when he heard the story of how my son caught a bra, he almost died laughing. Then he took things to the next level. He went to the hardware store and bought a kit. He mounted it to a wooden plaque So I have a bra hanging above my fireplace. And let me tell you, it is a conversation starter. A little brass plate on the plaque reads, Samuel's biggest catch. (laughs) Sherry Lynn, Germantown, Tennessee. My husband's a cyclist, and he bikes all over. He won a lot of races in his day, and he's still in pretty good shape. The only deal is he is kind of overweight. And so you never know that there's an athlete underneath that lovable squishy body of his i call him my big teddy bear but he's still a good cyclist and he's pretty fast too anyway these college kids were friends of my sons and they came to my house on break and they got to talking about bicycling with my husband they'd just taken up biking last year these young boys just talked and talked about bicycling and my husband acted like he'd never ridden a bike in his life while he listened to him The next day, he took them to a place with a bunch of hills, and he wore jeans and a t-shirt when they showed up in their professional bike clothes, and they decided they were going to go for a fun bike ride. He rode them so hard and so fast, they lost sight of him after the first mile. Afterward, we all had a good laugh about it. He would have bought them beer, except they weren't 21 yet. Catherine McDavid, Portland, Oregon. Hey, Sean, never been down south, but if your show is any indication of what it's like, I want to go this summer. My husband and I are planning a road trip through the whole southeast. We're going to land in Atlanta, and then we're just going to drive and hit, hit any sites that, that strike our fancy. Any suggestions? Dear Catherine, I got a few. Stop at vegetable stands, but only if the veggies are sitting on a card table with a man who has a cowboy hat on. Don't you dare leave this part of the world without slicing the summer tomato placing it onto money bread, sunbeam bread, or colonial white bread, and then cover that joker in Duke's or Blue Plate mayonnaise. Sincerely, your friend, Sean Dutcher. Greg West, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Hey, Sean, we're planting a magnolia when my mother died several years ago. And around her birthday, it blooms every year. It's, It's pretty cool. Anyway, today I was watching my grandkids play around that very tree underneath the blossoms, and it was almost too much to bear. The white blooms above their heads were beautiful, and they had no idea that my mother was in the ground around them. But the reason I'm writing you is because while I watched them play, I saw a pure white bird land on one of those branches. 
The bird just stood there on the branch and looked at the kids and then looked at me, and it didn't fly away for a long time. My mother and I were close friends. She used to have a painting of a white dove in her bedroom. All my life, I looked at that painting, and I know it sounds crazy, but I believe that my mother can see me, and I believe she's watching me somehow. I just wanted you to hear my story, maybe even read it on the air. Dear Greg, may your mother bloom and blossom for generations to come, and may the white bird of love fly over your household often and remind you that loved ones are never gone. Never, never, never. And that's letters from our listeners. Seven of the tunes from Dude and Leslie Brown, Carolina Jones.
summertime it's summertime my god it's summertime our sound man back there robert is going to cue the crickets robert turn on them crickets <laughs> there it is and now it's really summer now it's really summer god i can remember parts of my childhood where we sat on a porch swing my father was a storyteller my father wasn't a good storyteller, but he was a storyteller. Of course, a lot of people thought he was a good storyteller. A lot of people thought he was the best storyteller they had ever heard in their life. Children especially thought this. My, my friends in the Boy Scouts, my friends on the baseball team, they all thought my father was a, a genius with the spoken word. They thought he was a true storyteller. Of course, he was my father. I knew him for better and for worse, for good and for bad, and so it's hard to see the qualities of somebody when you know how human they are. And so I never really saw him as quite the storyteller everybody else did. Not, I'm sorry about that now. He would sit on a porch swing when the crickets were, were screaming, and he would tell stories, and sometimes he would mix in the lyrics of old songs. He would say, say it's only a paper moon. Hanging over a cardboard sea. But it wouldn't be make-believe if you believed in me. Say it's only a paper moon. Hanging over a muslin tree. But it wouldn't be make-believe if you believed in me. Without your love, it's a honky-tonk parade. Without your touch, it's a, it's a melody played in a penny arcade. And it's a Barnum and Bailey world just as phony as it can be. But it would not be make-believe if you believed in me he would talk in a rhythmic way he would tell his stories so that they sounded good to the ear and he always told his stories with his eyes shut he would close his eyes and he would let his eyebrows come down just just 
inches above his eyelids to where it looked like he almost didn't have any eyes. And people would focus on the sounds of what came out of his mouth instead of on his, on his presentation of it all. My father gave me a lot of advice during my life. He had country wisdom. He had things that, that you can only hear from the old generations. Things like a bumblebee is faster than a John Deere. Or it's better to squelch than belch and bear the pain than belch and squelch and bear the shame. But his stories, his stories were where it was at. I can remember him telling stories deep into the night. Sometimes he had no idea what these stories were, were meant to accomplish, but it didn't matter what they were meant to accomplish. They were, they were simply a way of communicating. We had a beaver in our pond, a beaver in our east pond. We had two ponds on our property. They were really just one pond separated by a dirt walkway in between, but there was a canal flowing underneath the walkway. Beavers had dammed up that canal, and so one of the ponds was turning into, turning into more of a puddle, and the other pond was overflowing, and that's what the beaver was doing. My father would spend the evenings crouched low on his belly with a twenty-two rifle in his hand. He would be looking for signs of movement, but he could never find any signs of movement because a beaver is the smartest creature in the world, with the exception of the turkey. Beaver is a is a devilishly smart animal. He knows what you're thinking before you think it. And so my father would would lay on his belly in the high grass, and he would have sweaty cans of beer with him, and he would sip beer. And the more beer he sipped, the more shots we would hear. And he would stay out there until dark, until dark every night. He never caught that beaver. He'd gone for one whole year trying to shoot a beaver, and the ponds they had they had totally changed in structure. The little pond had turned into just nothing but a little drip of water surrounded by dry mud. In the other pond, the big pond, had turned into an overflowing river. It was spilling across the roadway like a, like a oozing sore in the earth. And my father was sick to his stomach over this. He called a man four counties away called the Beaver Man. This man made a living shooting beavers. That was his job beaver man this man talked with my daddy on the phone and he offered to come out and take care of the beaver problem my father was from a kind of people a country kind of people who believed in doing things yourself if you couldn't do something yourself it just didn't need doing these are the kind of people who go into the to the store and they look for the cheapest cheapest items they can find these are the kinds of people who would drive halfway across the city to save 18 cents on a can of black beans. Or they would just go without black beans at all. They'll spend, they'll spend a lot of time and energy trying to do things themselves. My father did not want the beaver man to come over, but he did want advice. And the beaver man said, you might as well just give up trying to get this beaver. Because a beaver is smart, and he will outsmart you any day of the week. And that was his advice to my father. My father did not take that advice. He was the kind of man who, who, who passed this quality on to me. I do not take advice very well. I learn things the hard way. And I can remember this from, from a very early age when I very first touched a, a black iron stove. It was a stove heater in, in, our, in our living room. 
And I touched the top of that stove, even though my parents had told me not to touch it. And I remember I touched it so vehemently that my hand stuck to the hot stove. And when I jerked it away, there was a little layer of skin stuck to that black iron. And my father always reminded me that a child has to touch a stove to see that it's hot. And my father still laid on his belly out in that tall grass with a twenty-two, trying to shoot that, that, that beaver. And once my uncle came over, my Uncle John. My Uncle John was the kind of man who wore overalls every day of his cotton-picking life and a white T-shirt underneath it. And a white T-shirt usually had a little bit of food stains just underneath the chin. He was the kind of man who, who lived in an RV. The couch in his RV was stained white because he'd found it on the side of the road and it smelled like, like, like cats had urinated on it. And so he bleached it. And the bleach did not really get rid of the smell, but it absolutely got rid of the color. And Uncle John was on that porch and he was listening to my father tell stories. And Uncle John said, your palms, they sure look, they sure look like they're in terrible shape. And my father said, I know it, I know it. It's that beaver. Uncle John said, what beaver? You got a beaver problem. My father and my Uncle John walked out to that little, that little dirt walkway between the ponds. And they looked at this beaver dam, which kept getting bigger and bigger every day. And even though my father had cleared the dam twice, the beaver had come back and he had reconstructed that dam. And my Uncle John just looked at it and marveled. He said, well, that's really something. My father said, yeah, it ain't no use killing the beaver. They're smarter than a turkey. They're smarter than I am. My Uncle John said, is that right? Is that right? I went back up to the porch. My father told a few more stories. My Uncle John listened. My Uncle John had stories, too. And my Uncle John also had big, big eyebrows, though not like my father. My father would close his eyes so tight that he'd have crow's feet that would develop, and they would spread all the way down to his neck. My Uncle John was a little bit heavier set of a man and he would tell stories and I didn't see any crow's feet on his face he had too much too much baby fat around his eyes and while he was telling the stories my father perked up and he stopped my Uncle John he said look into that pond my Uncle John stood up and he looked into that pond and there was this little black shape swimming across the surface of that pond from one side to the other and it was carrying something in its mouth it looked like a big fire log Uncle John said, I got this. I got this. <laughs> Uncle John had driven his RV over to our house that night. He ran into his RV, and he got a little thirty-eight caliber pistol, just a little handgun. My father laughed. He said, you ain't going to kill a beaver with that. Uncle John said, well, it's worth a try. My father said, you don't understand. I've been tracking that beaver for a long time. I've had a 22 gauge. I've had a rifle in my hand. I've had a, a shotgun in my hand before. And I hadn't been able to catch that beaver. My Uncle John said, well, it's worth a shot. He walked down to that little dirt walkway. He saw that little shape. And he, he held out that 38, that little handgun. And we heard a singular pop. And we saw that black shape in the water sink. And my father... He started laughing. He sat down in that porch swing and he, he ran his fingers through his hair. He said, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. 
Uncle John came back up to the porch. He had that, that smoking 38 in his hand. He said, one shot. <laughs> one shot's all it took. My father started laughing and laughing hysterically. And, and, and my Uncle John started laughing. And he didn't even know what he was laughing about. My father said, you know what? You know what? This calls for a celebration. My father went inside and he got steaks, even though it was about 10 o'clock at night, and he put them on the grill. He, he grilled steaks and he made, he made hash browns. My father made wonderful hash browns. He boiled potatoes just a little bit and he cut them up in little shreds and put them in a skillet with all sorts of bacon grease. And he'd fry them up. We had steak and hash browns for supper, even though it was long, long past supper. Long past supper. And my, my Uncle John and my father, they drank, they drank from sweaty cans and they exchanged stories. Men, men that, that produced me told stories and they told them with their eyes closed. And my father, my Uncle John, they talked and they laughed and they, they told tales that I'm not sure whether they were true or not. And I don't really care, to tell you the truth. Because there were stories and they were told in a certain way that had a cadence to them that I could understand. And they had little, little punchlines buried within them to make you laugh. And the more you told these stories, the better they got. I can remember my father telling stories like this to the Boy Scouts. He was a Boy Scout leader. And he would tell stories around the campfire. He'd build these campfires with huge 14-foot-tall flames. And the Boy Scouts... We had about 15 of us in pack three, four, five, one, and we would divide ourselves among three tents, five Boy Scouts per tent. And if you've ever wanted to know what hell is like, just imagine having five Boy Scouts inside one sheet of canvas. <laughs> you would smell things you never thought existed. But my father would build these campfires and tell these stories to these boys. And you could look around and you could see these boys, they were paying close attention to my father. They regarded him as a true, true story man, an artist. My Uncle John and my, my father told stories. And they stayed up to about 3 o'clock in the morning. And finally, my Uncle John just walked into his RV after he called it a night. And he pulled out the bed and that, that bleached white sofa, that ugly, ugly sofa. And he fell asleep. And my father, my father went inside and he said to me, it's awful late. Your mama's going to kill me if she knows I kept you up this late. I asked my father, I said, how did John kill a beaver that you've been tracking for a long time? My father laughed. He said, God, if I knew that, he said, I could be a rich man. Or maybe I could even be the beaver man. He said, no, I'll tell you what I really think, Tiger, which is what my father called me. He had two nicknames for me, Speedy and Tiger. Speedy because my initials are S-P-D. And Tiger, I don't really know why. My father said, I think that the only power a man is given in this life is his power to believe in something. I really do. The only thing a man can do to alter his world is believe in something. 
I don't know how it works. I don't know why it works. But it does. Just the idea that you can believe in something can actually cause the elements of this world to change in your favor. So and I think maybe your Uncle John believed a little more than I do. I think a man can do things. A man can do things when people believe in him. It was a novel idea. It's a novel idea. You can say it's only a paper moon hanging over a cardboard sea, but it wouldn't be make-believe if you believe in me. You can say it's only a canvas sky hanging over a muslin tree, but it would not make-believe if you believe in me. Without love, it's a honky-tonk parade. Without love, it's a penny melody played in a cheap arcade. It's a Barnum and Bailey world just as phony as it can be, but it would not be make-believe if you believed in me. Thanks for listening to Sean of the South. I've been your host today, Sean Dietrich, and it has been a true pleasure. I hope you join us next week. The music you heard by me today was Dewey and Leslie Brown and the Carolina Gentlemen. To find anything more about what they do, visit DeweyandLeslieBrown.com or check them out on iTunes, CD Baby, Spotify, or YouTube. Dewey and Leslie Brown, Brandon Henson, and Kendall Gales on the mandolin. These guys are not just good, they're world-class good. And if you don't believe me, how about this? Dewey played with Dr. Ralph Stanley for 11 years until he passed. And if you want to know what country fiddle should sound like Dewey is the man to see about it if you want to more about what I do you can visit seanofthesouth.com while you're there I hope you drop me a line because I love to hear from my friends send me your birthday announcements your wedding announcements your bar mitzvah invitations anything you can think of I love to read stuff over the air for my friends and speaking of friends friends get a few laughs and do the best you can before you die live your life so that whenever you lose you're ahead he gave me a adios sacrifice